0: Rick Madison and Scott Lanigan, chair of Central Okanagan Journey Home Society, delve into the problems surrounding Kelowna's homelessness issue and interview community stakeholders to discover possible solutions. Hi, this is Rick Madison, along with uh, Scott Lanigan, who's...
1: I don't know how I ended up here, Rick. Uh, it's I... Just awkward The moment. door was open.
0: Let's put it that way.
1: Uh, well, and... you let me in this time. That's what I'm so thankful for. Because last time you didn't
0: let's not even talk about why do you have to because the because the no, audience wants
1: to know because uh you know scott's here and then all of a sudden he's gone and there was no yeah. kind of recognition of that rick wow. and- there
0: was a talent thing and anyway um so we are here with the lovely kyleen myra and the lovely Carrie Rempel and they're here from the okanagan school of business they've done research scott on homelessness. (laughs) I
1: I am well aware of this Rick. Yes a ton.
0: And thank you to the listeners that are listening to this because clearly uh, you are trying to help understand this complex issue which is homelessness and what I wanted to do was find out some of the findings because obviously you spent a lot of time a lot of work you've collaborated with people uh, lived experience let's just dive in a little bit into some of the findings you found about this research.
1: And even, yes, I want to say that too, but I'd love just a little background, I think, for our listeners to know where you, uh, Kyleen and Carrie kind of got engaged with the homelessness, uh, you know, initiatives within Kelowna under kind of that Journey Home banner and, and beyond. So uh, m- some may not know uh, that Kyleen was one of the primaries for the task force that launched. But
0: So did you ask a question <laughs> and answer it? Okay, I, I, I just want to make sure.
2: <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> We're super pleased to be here, uh, representing both Okanagan College, but also the Kelowna Homeless Research Collaborative. And before your eyes roll over or get dazed, we just want to tell you that research is exciting, it's community-based, and it's where real practical solutions can come from. But how did the KHRC come about? As part of the task force, which Scott and I uh, were part of with the Journey Home Task Force, um, and uh, we had 23 design labs. And out of those design labs, one was focused discreetly on research. And out of that, a group formed from Okanagan College, UBC Okanagan, and Interior Health and has done several years of research now, engaging with people in the community. And we want to tell you about a couple projects that we've been intimately involved, which we think, and we hope you'll find really fascinating. So I'll turn it over to Carrie to talk about how she's positioned in this work. Thanks, Kylene. Um, so
3: having been in this community now, I'm a, I'm a transplant into Kelowna. Um, so I've been here for about 18 years now. Where'd you and come from? Where did I come? I came from Alberta. Can I still yeah, say that? Not a lot of people have come yeah. from Alberta here yet. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. brave, brave woman. Uh, yeah, there's almost nobody here from Alberta. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, it's a it's a beautiful place to be and a lovely place to experience. And as you get to spend time here, you get to realize that when you kind of pull back the veil, there's uh, the city ha- has challenges that that we can work on. And, and at the School of Business, I think one of the things that, we love to do is to look for where some of those challenges are and then investigate whether or not our expertise, the work with our students, the research that we do can help to address some of those problems. So as the city of Kelowna and various other agencies started to look, uh, you know, they're building the strategy. Um, There were lots of other research projects that were sort of in the works. Homelessness was one of those things that you could kind of get involved in. I think anybody who's got kids right now is looking at the future going, how do we make this this city and our community a place that's uh, that our kids are going to love to live in? And that's kind of how I got uh, invested in that. And it just balloons from there. You just get involved and sucked in and soon you're doing it all the time. <laughs> that's
1: well, and I think at present you're uh, pursuing your PhD. Yes, field. rumor yeah.
3: has it that I am engaged in my PhD process. I'm about three years into a five-year journey, and my PhD will end up looking at the homeless-serving sector, but from a, a broader context, so the whole field of, of homelessness.
0: Okay, so let's... Um, did we answer the question of how you two met then, or did we not?
2: No, I've-
0: I was trying to answer, but Rick told me not to, so...
2: Of how the two of us met?
0: The two of you met.
2: So we met at the Okanagan School of Business. Okay. And we have a field really in the School of Business around sustainability, social entrepreneurship, nonprofit management. And both Carrie and I were involved in different layers with the Journey Home Strategy. And we've become very passionate, and our our research has focused really deeply on homelessness in the last several years. And we've published some case studies. We've brought that into the classroom, and we've also done some community-led projects. So we are working together on a number of projects with other colleagues of ours from UBCO and other places. Okay.
0: So going into this research did you have a mindset and then coming out of the research did you have another mindset so let's just let's just go there briefly i have some a lot of other questions but let's talk about where you were and where you where you are now let's just talk about some of those takeaways
2: Absolutely. I think I will credit Tara Schritter, who ran in from the cold, for bringing me onto that board to begin with. I had a lot of some of my myths um, dispelled. I learned a lot from uh, the board members and the clients or the residents that we worked with. And then when I, where my greatest learning has been was through the Journey Home Task Force through working with lived experience, our lived experience people who I believe have provided mentorship to me about what they've gone through, what their talents are, where their ability is to help be part of the solutions, um, how things are actually seen from their point of view, rather than, you know, having solutions about them without including anything um, or anyone from um, the lived experience lens, so lived experience of homelessness. So now we've made a commitment that no project going forward around homelessness will um, not have people from a lived experience lens being part of the strategy solution and research. And we'll tell you about a project that we've, a couple projects were very exciting that we think are leading the edge in authentic engagement with lived experience.
0: Okay. Um, and let's just talk, just give me a couple of examples of these myths that you were talking about.
2: Yeah. So that they, um, you know uh, th- there's a bound of them but you know that they're lazy that they don't want to improve their situation that they have a choice um, and they're making a choice around that that they um, do not want to move themselves to a different place that they don't want to be involved in solutions that they um, don't have anything to contribute back to a society, that they're all the people that are the criminal or unsafe element. I mean, these are so many things that, you know, can be dispelled, go that they, on. That they all have addictions. Yes. Um, that uh, And there's other community-wide
3: kinds of concerns that people have that I, I would offer are probably myths, that if you are creating good programs that are addressing homelessness, then more homeless people are gonna come, um, that, that they're not, uh, That they're kind of they 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 come out of the woodworks that they're created. Um, There's just there's a whole host of things that as you start to work with individuals you recognize them as individuals. And so for every myth that there is around how people became homeless, why they are homeless, um, why there's not a transition to the next stage in their life, there are a million individuals with their own unique stories. There's no one common. Uh, story that you can layer upon all of them other than the fact that they don't currently have house as we would recognize a house. That's probably the only thing that's common about them and it's what I loved about some of the research that we do is to put that human element around something that is so easy to uh, layer down to a common denominator. So we can look out, I live in the north end of Kelowna, so um, in recent years we've had lots of different encampments, we continue to have things along the rail trail Lots of individuals in our community that are more visible than they would have been in previous years. And uh, to actually be able to, to have some insight into what those unique stories might be. Um, to see the changes in people's faces when you, uh, now based on the research that we've done, you know, every encounter I go into thinking that this is an individual with a unique story. And to see the change in their face when you acknowledge and see them as a human being. Um, in your own community, and you, you, you're welcoming them, welcoming them as an individual, I think is, has been really uh, transformative for me in how I see the, the world around me. And the, the problems. That's not to belittle the fact that there aren't problems. Of course there are. But we can choose to uh, envision the scenario, the situation differently, and that's what some of our research has been allowing me to do.
1: I don't think our listeners can underestimate that. Like the, the adage, "Oh, just get a job" is not fair. That's just not a fair moniker to put on somebody that's, uh, you know, in in the homelessness community. It's 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 such a broader, uh, layered uh, understanding of what has brought that individual to that spot. And, and I think each of us have to understand too, we don't want to be known as kind of, you know, the, that adage of uh, love at first sight. We all know that's not true. It's like at first sight, love takes time. Why? Because then you get to know the person and you kind of go, what resonates and how do we understand each other? And as each of us have stories where we come from, you know, family of origin, uh, all the different pieces of our, you know, ethnic background, whatever it is, we want somebody to know the whole of us. And, and when we do that, then you can better understand and represent who somebody is in, in, as you meet them and understand them and that's how relationships develop and oh we're kind of like mine oh I'll you know you, you understand that but we we hesitate sometimes when somebody's different than us or or comes from a different uh situation and and unless we understand their story, we're never going to get the true scope of what's going on. And I think it's so important, especially when it comes to lived experience, that we, we take a step back and go, oh yeah, I don't want to be known as my worst moment. I don't want people to know that is my best moment either, because that's not true. I have all of my moments are, are together, what make me, me. And I think for our listeners too, just that reminder of, of that's the way we have to look at this entire situation too, the real people experiencing real things. And yes, it may be complicated. I might not understand it, but it doesn't mean I disregard it or I paint it with a a single brush I have to go okay let's get the broader scope and that's why I think the work that both Kylie and Carrie are doing is so valuable to helping us navigate a way forward
3: we with the the study we did on vulnerability um, the, the premise behind it was literature can tell us all of the myriad of ways that uh, people become susceptible to homelessness and what we wanted to investigate is are those same things true for the Kelowna community we hear lots of things about, you know, because of our weather, people come here or, or what are the different reasons. Uh, and so the research that we did around vulnerabilities is we brought together two distinct groups of people. We brought together those with lived experience and in separate sessions, we brought together those people who work with individuals with lived experience who are in the homeless serving sector. And uh, and the focus of the first phase of our research was to really understand what things from those different perspectives are at the root of of um, what we found was a spiral that led to homelessness. So people would describe, I would have incident or issue A happen, and, and I could deal with that, but then B came up, and that added on to A, and then C happened, and then D happened, and before you know it, they would describe it as as a spiral or a slide or a descent from which each positive action that they would try to take would then not be enough to counter the cumulative impact of what it was that was happening in their lives until the point where they uh, were without a home um, or had no options left. And the second phase of that research, still with the same two groups of people, were to inquire what could have happened to stop or stall that slide. And so what was neat was to see, um, not only were all of the stories distinct, each of the individuals that we spoke with had a different trajectory to the to the place where they were at and the place where they were coming to or were already were now were um, now at where they were all housed after at this point in our research. Um, but it was really interesting to see that the the stories were really about those additive effects. Those were the things that created the vulnerabilities and had someone help them to address that first incident A it would not necessarily have had the same impact when b came along so it doesn't matter that b came along but it might not have been as impactful for them and so we really learned that the system of supports that we have often is dealing with individuals after a b c d and e have happened not when a and b are happening so we you know it's things like this that research can can bring to the forefront to help organizations or entities that are looking to address Homelessness can help them to identify where are those upstream kinds of incidents that we can address rather than dealing with someone out there at the very bottom of that descent.
0: So, in the research, it was really critical path timelines and, and being upstream, as you said. So, if you were able to have wraparound support at critical times during their descent, you would be able to better counteract.
3: That that was that was what they would come to us with, and so um, in that phase two when we said, you know, what could have stopped it, those were some of the solutions that they came up with. There were other things too that, you know, I'm not sure how we address yet. Just the sheer impact of things like poverty, I don't know. You know this podcast isn't going to solve that. <laughs> yeah. um, foster nor, care yeah. coming out of foster
2: care, transitioning out mm-hmm. foster care. Lots yeah, of those all things.
3: but all kinds of, of areas where people were being discharged out of care out of the hospital, out of the criminal justice system. Um, lots of different examples where there were um, transition points where we could have had a softer landing or a different landing. I don't know about soft is the right word, but uh, a transition that actually didn't discharge people into homelessness. Uh, people don't think about that, even coming out of a cancer treatment. If you're going in for treatments, you may very well lose your house, lose your job because you're unable to work. Not everybody has a social support system underneath them that someone like myself who works at a public institution does. Uh, um, or people coming out of a, a broken leg, and now you've, you've lost your job. And then we add on things like the, the, the pharmaceutical interventions, which may or may not have helped people. Uh, there just can be all of these things that are, that are additive. Mm-hmm.
2: And then I think what we wanted to also showcase about this research is we start to go down the path using lived experience Um, people to kind of support the research and then what we realized very quickly was that they were actually integral to us getting to those outcomes so they were the ones that came back and said well maybe we should design it differently maybe we should split up the lived experience and the service providers because there's a lot of power imbalances maybe I need to actually go out and actually bring people to the research Uh, because they're too intimidated. Maybe I need to sit, these are all things that happen. Maybe I need to sit at each table because sometimes things get heated and intense and people lose their control of their emotions but we don't always have the ability to de-escalate it. So in multiple times, our lived experience members supported and enhanced the research process from the design, to the execution, to the analysis, to finally the dissemination of the findings. And we could not get the richness of our data without them being integrated throughout the whole research process. That, I we believe, doesn't really happen. We believe that they do a a lot of people do a consultation, You know, they do a cursory, they do a sort of brief or surface level. But we developed a toolkit called an Allyship and Research Toolkit with some short videos from our research partners to act- actually show communities and researchers how to engage with lived experience. And because we also feel that people, although they might wanna do it, the researchers themselves might be intimidated or unsure of actually how to do the process in a really authentic and respectful way. So we've put together what we think is a very practical guide to help researchers to ensure that when they do experience on people of a lived experience nature, that they include them um, throughout the research process.
0: Was there anybody from the lived experience that read through the research mm-hmm. and and what did they come back what were the, some of their comments
2: mm-hmm. yeah so we reviewed everything with them and then they re- then they reviewed the i would still remember the lunch where they had the reports they came back with documentations about pieces you know around so a couple of the things was about how you actually find lived experience people they said don't assume that Build these relationships much in advance so that you're not going to them to ask things right from the beginning. Find ways that they can provide input which are beyond what are traditional, right? Uh, traditional ways. You might need to gather together in ways that technology doesn't always like. You need may need to find ways to gather face-to-face. Don't put up barriers to participation for lived experience that will already make them feel that they don't have the means to contribute to it, so we need to we need to authentically like we pay them for their um, involvement in the research. Don't assume that their um, engagement and involvement shouldn't be valued. So put include funding um, as part of your projects to include lived experience. Um, those are just a number of ways. I know Carrie has a few other ways of what they taught us about how to include their voice in the process. And maybe just to backtrack a moment, when we started our
3: vulnerability study, it looked like any other community-engaged research project that I've been involved in. It had uh, representation, and I'm using air quotes now, representation um, from uh, a variety of stakeholders. What was different is that the two individuals that we had that um, were representing lived experience, were someone that Kyleen and I have worked with for a number of years, and we had a, a relationship with them, one that was honest enough where they would be like, oh, I don't think this is gonna work, and here's why. And that, that lack of, of um, or diminishment of the power struggle that you'll often see in research was really fundamental to a, an absolute fundamental change in every way that we engaged in this research from that point forward. Um, and that was honoring those people with lived experience that we had. Uh, we call them co-researchers, by the way. There are co-researchers. Um, and they were involved in every aspect, from dissemination of the information all the way back to the design of, of how we went about things. Like, I learned that what I like for lunch is not what everyone likes for lunch. And we need to think about those things in design, but that wouldn't have been a traditional approach to doing research. And so when we park our egos and when we invite other people with different views and different experiences into that research environment, we end up with, as Kyleen said, um, a much more rich uh, data to draw from. But then our analysis is actually grounded in those experiences. It's validated right there. And we even, on their suggestion, went out and validated our research at other sites, we took it out to other sites and went to different people with lived experience and said, this is what we heard, does this make sense? Uh, but that would not necessarily have been part of a traditional approach to doing this work, um, partly because you have to have those relationships built. So the research that Kylie and I wanna do is not research that happens at the snap of a finger. It, it's built over years of relationships and um, being vulnerable with the people that you expect to be
2: vulnerable back with you.
0: How how long did it take? How long did the paper take?
2: Well, this project was over a year and a half. Okay. Those relationships were at least two years prior to that. Okay. Um, and then uh, we're still in the process now of finally being able, so we've you know we put a proposal for the Canadian Alliance to end homelessness with our co-researchers to co-present. And we're meeting with the outreach circle coming up to present. So we're just in the process now of being able to share the work. But I think the key there is another key with the length of time is the funders. So, for example, you know, with the Vancouver Foundation, with the Vulnerability Studies, with Anactus Canada, with the Allyship and Research, we put in time and funding for work with our lived experience, and they recognize that as valid expenses. So, you need to embed that, and you may need to educate or help build in that awareness with your funders for both the timing and the types of expenses, if you are gonna ensure that that process is through. And our co-researchers, Dorothy Goodeye and Sherry Landry, and we reached out to other people like Elaine McMurray and G. Um, Gerard-Joel. Um, you know, we um, needed to make sure that our net was broad so that we weren't just also getting limited ex- um, exposure from lived experience. So you also have to remember to cast the net a bit broader as well, that uh, all we, takes time.
1: And we adjo- on our podcast a few episodes yeah. ago if, if our listeners just uh, hadn't heard that i encourage you to go back and listen he's got a wonderful lens on lived experience as well and then we had uh somebody from um bc team challenge here as well and he gave a great kind of unpacked about his perspective and 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 what it is i so i wonder so you know i'm listening and and maybe the listeners are too and like research is wonderful but what's that practical application like what wh- how's that really going to impact our streets here in yeah where, where
0: does it go like what would what, what do we do with it and can people access it
2: i guess mm-hmm. and and let me just tell you from a classroom point of view and then carrie can talk about from a community point of view so we took um some of the findings we've written up case things like one example is case research okay so we write cases academic cases that students use and for instance journey home was evolved stephanie ball and saran mallinson who helped review the research we developed cases that are being published And now students all across the world are going to have insight into the work we're doing with our lived experience circle and our Central Okanagan Journey Home Society to actually bring solutions around homelessness. So I piloted them both in an upper level nonprofit class and in a second year organizational behavior class. So I had dozens and dozens of students grappling with the issues, talking about them, coming up with solutions, listening to the leaders, and now we're going to share that story. So that's one powerful way of that we can educate people, but also getting them thinking about solutions, getting them thinking about people experiencing homelessness in a different way, reducing stigma, getting them interested in maybe you know thinking about being on boards or committees or how they might deal with it when they come across it in their workplaces or on the streets. So that's a really powerful mechanism is education, and that's one of the pillars of our lived experience group is education and awareness. So that's one way in the classroom, which we're really proud of. Um, and then Carrie can maybe talk about another way. So
3: Kyleen and I are both practitioners. I wouldn't, uh, I'll speak for myself. I, I didn't come to academia from perhaps the traditional route. I wasn't trained in academia. I came from a practical lens from the work world, then into the academic world, and, uh, and I've never looked back just for those that might be curious, it is not a bad place to be. Um, but because we have that practitioner lens, knowledge translation, which is how do we take what we've learned and make it useful for people in the community is really important. And so we've tried to do things like create videos, Kyleen's referenced those as well. Yeah. Um, and toolkits, things that are practically focused that can then go back to um, those people that are practi- the practitioners in the homeless serving sector to reflect on their own practice if that's appropriate, or to look for those things that we're pulling from the research in particular around vulnerability and solutions that we looked at and said, so out of the programming that we're doing, is any of the programming that we're contemplating or engaging in addressing these concerns or uh, looking at opportunities to address something that that might be a whole? Um, And so we wanna provide support for those people that are, are thinking that way. They now have data that's validated that they can use with their funders to say, look, I can hold this piece of paper up and someone else somewhere has researched this and said this is important. Uh, and I think it adds credibility when there's lived experience input into that work.
0: So we've, we've, uh, we're, we're getting down into the uh, short strokes here with our, our lovely podcast here. I wanna find out just from, so you have a, a marketing model is there's a problem then here's some some possible solutions now here's some excellent solution that you can move forward with what to you and 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 I'm not trying to to be simplifying this into one or two solutions but is there key takeaways that people listening to this go this is this is some this is some places we need to go with homelessness in Kelowna in the Okanagan is there some places that we need to go as far as solutions?
3: I think if I were to look towards where my PhD research is going to go, it's around uh, how do organizations and systems connect with each other. So that collaboration, that coordination across systems, where we've traditionally had silos, and that's been happening since about the 1980s, our social serving system has, has more and more moved towards a siloing um, model. Uh, the more that we can reconnect those things so that we are seeing person A who's it having facing situation A um, and recognize that situation B is perhaps coming down the pipe at them how do we connect them to someone who can provide the supports and the time that they need that coordination though is is difficult to do it's it's costly and it takes relationship building and Kelowna started all of that work so I think they're well on the way but it's for me, one of the key ways that we're going to make a difference in addressing homelessness outside of the fact that we have to deal with the housing crisis and poverty and addiction. So if you, you, know, if you can fix those three things, then I think homelessness will sort itself out along the way.
2: Yeah, and I I would encourage people to look up the Kelowna Homelessness Research Collaborative because our reports are in a very easy-to-read, like, report format. They're not academic papers that way. And the toolkit with a guiding framework and actual strategies about how to do things. So they're very accessible. The videos are four and nine minutes long. So I've shown them in the classroom. We've shown them at conferences. Um, across Canada so far. So we're really excited about that. And I think the other way that I would like to say is that we have a lot of misconceptions about what should be the solutions in Kelowna, a lot of fear um, and um, based on misinformation, lack of actually you know, knowing anybody who's experienced homelessness. So I believe our work, um, listening to the voices of those with lived experience actually paints a more accurate picture it actually provides some ways for the common or the general public to get involved, to think differently, to have those conversations and to understand the complexity. And that gives a bit of patience. It gives a bit of ways that people might feel like they can start to get involved. Um, And really that grassroots level is where we're going to start to build that momentum um, so that people understand. So they're, they're, they're maybe being reflective of the complexity and the time it takes. I had no idea it would take years. I mean, we've taken decades and decades of poor housing policies and rising prices to get to the state, but people felt that we were going to solve it in a year. And we really need to get over this idea that it's an immediate solution. So I think as people realize the things we're putting into place and how we're moving it, they will be a little bit more understanding of what it's going to take us to move out of that. And that is 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 would be incredible if more people could understand that
1: and and I think that's you know I I, perhaps living in North America we don't like that we're a very convenience culture right so I can Amazon Prime it I can Uber it I can whatever I need to do to get it now I can get it now and sometimes we put that same lens on solving community problems when it's 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 just it's an a naive approach that perhaps the other thing we lost is critical thinking and and I this is critical thinking and it takes a critical thought pattern and uh, perspective to solve problems like homelessness in the community and you can't just stick them all in a bus and get rid of them like that, that that's not a viable solution the the solution is how can we build an infrastructure within our community that is was initiated years ago by the journey home that is trying to trying to come to that that pathway forward, but realizing even in the middle of that plan that there's so many different elements we didn't know and now we're beginning to understand, including what research is telling us. And without this research, we're not gonna be able to define what we can do forward. And I And I think of, for me, I think of a generation of students who are learning this now and they go into different occupations and different sectors and now they're going to have that lens and they're going to get into their company and go hey have we thought about and then influence uh, across this world different places that now it becomes a community effort that all of us not just me uh, can contribute to the solution uh, that we need to have not only in Kelowna but across Canada that to me is incredibly exciting in this and that learning and so I you know I've looked at that research and it is it's it's um, striking. I think it's, it's challenging in all the right ways. And it's exciting to see But that we're on the right path to helping give us a viable solution that's going to be long term for individuals that are caught in homelessness.
0: Um, I think back to the point. Thank you for doing the research and for doing this. I think it's going to, it will help a lot of people. Would you suggest for people listening to the podcast? I mean, obviously, there's different layers to education. Um, The first step would be educating themselves by reading these reports.
2: Absolutely. You know, we have sent people to the Journey Home site, journeyhome.ca to read the report, the strategy, but those are hundreds of pages and the community reports about 40 pages. I think that's a good read. Um, And that's a little bit more, um, you know, um, easier for them to kind of digest. Our, our reports are 10, 15 pages, four minute videos. It's so for that convenience piece, It's a great first place. I think you'll be, we're really proud of that work and it's totally accessible. There's no cost to do that. And we can begin to have that dialogue. So Kelowna Homelessness Research Collaborative is a great place to start and to also reach out to us through there. They can access Carrie Rempel and Kylie Myra if they want to look at future projects or future ways to bring that research into whatever space they operate whether that's speaking or whatever we'd be more than happy to do that
1: are there pictures like uh, yes are, okay there are pictures too yeah. so just i know some people are wondering are there pictures <laughs>
2: pictures di- uh, diagrams you know quotes like you know I we told need to make it for people like you that's simple yeah. simple
0: you know pop-up books yeah that you know. kind of like yeah.
3: wow that is just the pop-up book's coming. That's I mean. I'm so excited.
0: <laughs> okay, well, uh, thank you again for sharing the time. Thank you, I think, Scott. Um, so uh, appreciate your, your time today. And, and hopefully, yeah, we uh, we keep knocking this this research down and getting a little bit closer. Great. Thank you. Thank you.
2: Happy to be here. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening in on the Homeless in Kelowna podcast. If you have feedback, reach out to us via email, rick at tempestmedia.net.